podcast, Soy Chingona. Um, today, I am very excited to sit down here with Ellie. Um, her and I met through um, Marley's Coffee, um, and she was someone that they really encouraged me to reach out to and get on my podcast. And I will tell you before um, Ellie introduces herself um, that there are trigger warnings um, for this episode. Um, we'll be talking about some um, deep things, some emotional distress, and if you feel like at any time that you need to stop listening to the podcast, we understand. Um, so, Ellie, why don't you tell my listeners um, who Ellie is? Who are you today? Today, I'm a mother on a mission. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I'm a mother on a mission for suicide prevention. Um, I lost my son to suicide on July 13, 2015, and that's when everything changed. Um, a few months after his passing, um, actually a few weeks after his passing, we went to our beach spot up in Carlsbad, um, where his ashes had been released. I painted some rocks there and um, left a huge memorial. That's before I even started doing any type of artwork. I just used some nail polish, mm -hmm. made a huge memorial, came back weeks later, and my husband was like, there's one of your rocks. I'm like, no way. They've all been washed away. So I saw the rock, and it had his name on it with a heart. I just stared at the rock and I said, okay, he wants me to paint rocks. So I started painting rocks and um, doing events around San Diego and selling the rocks for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Mm -hmm. I had gone to the first walk in October of 2015 because I was out of my mind. Out of my mind. And they were the first organization that popped up for me. And I'm like, I had to, I was driven to go to that walk. As soon as I got to the walk, I was embraced with so much support. They were like, you don't have to say a word. Just come in here and get a hug. I'm like, oh my God, like these people, that's what I needed. Yeah. So I've been with AFSP ever since. Um, they actually helped me a lot. They saved my own life. But um, tell me about the resources um, that they provided. I know you went to the walk, um, and I'm sure they have a lot of different resources with that organization. How involved are you with the organization now? Um, I'm on the board of directors. You are? Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. Chapter. Yeah. Wow, okay. It's been an amazing journey. Um, we've gone to uh, the state capitol. They go to Washington, D.C. We've had conventions in uh, North Carolina. We just went to Dallas, Texas just recently. Such amazing people that are out there volunteering, not getting paid to do this. So, and you started with them right away after you did the walk? Like, how was your involvement? 
teaching, so um, any chance I had to volunteer at any local events, mm -hmm. I did. So we did um, a San Diego Padres opening. That was amazing to be a part of that. Uh, we do Pride every year. Mm -hmm. So any any volunteer opportunities they have, I, I try and be there as much as I can to help others um, process what they're going through. Because I just cannot fathom another mother having to go through this. And how much is, uh, I know you have a daughter. Um, and has she been involved with the suicide prevention also, or is this something that mainly you have done for yourself? Um, mainly, mainly I do it. Mm -hmm. um, she's, you know, she's she works a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah you're telling me before we start recording, she's got a lot of things going she on. She's got a lot of jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my husband works, so he tries to come out and support whenever he can. Yeah. Yeah, so. But you just jumped right in. You okay. found a support system and just ran with it. I was just driven to AFSP. Yeah. Because there's so much support there, and people understand there's no cliche things that are being said. Yeah. That can be very upsetting. Yeah. Um, so, tell me about your son. Um, my son, take your time, Ellen. My son, Anthony, was born with a cleft. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he had multiple surgeries growing up. He also had, um, hearing loss because of the cleft. Uh-huh. So he had a little speech impediment. Um, you can tell that, you know, his nose was a little, you know, a little deformed. Mm -hmm. And not straight like the other kids. And um, he was a happy, go-lucky little child until he reached a certain age. I think he was about when things seem to change. Okay. Um, I would ask him every day, I'm like, are you okay? You know, are the kids teasing you? Are you being bullied in school? And he was very sensitive. And I knew when he wouldn't answer that that's what mm -hmm. was happening. So I'm like, I will go down there. <laughs> I will go down there and tell those kids leave you alone if that's what's going on. So. He was very, very quiet. He wasn't, he didn't communicate a lot because he was so emotional. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so things, things changed from there and, you know, when he was 18, I did get a call at work from his teacher saying that Anthony wanted to uh, kill himself. And, and was I was in shock. He was about 18. Okay. I think he was going through a lot of stuff with, yeah. you know, I know he was being bullied in school. But, you know, we.
But they got married. Um, she was in the military. Uh, they moved to Florida, and they had a child. His name was Ryu, a little dragon. Um, he died by SIDS at two and a half months old. Wow. He was actually born on October 2nd, the same day my husband So he died of SIDS at two and a half months old, and my son um, thought it was his fault. He did CPR, he did everything he could. So after that, he was afraid to have any other children, but she was ready. Okay. So they never had any other children, and of course they're marriage spiraled out from there. Yeah. Uh, did you ever get to meet his child? No. No, because they were out there in his home before I did go out there for the funeral though and was able to at least see him. I'm sure that was very triggering for Anthony too, right, going through that. So of course their marriage you know, spiraled out, and um, she was ready for a divorce. And before she conserved in the papers, that's when I got the call. And she came back to the house and shot himself. Wow. So since that day, I have been just beside myself. For a whole year, I was just numb. Now I just walk out in the street, not even caring if a car or bus came. I had gladly, I would have been happy if the bus hit me because I was in so much pain yeah. and disbelief. I was angry. So now I know why people just walk out in the street. I'm like, maybe they're going through the same thing, you know? So after that year, I kind of woke up and was, was really angry. And so I was out. Um, I started doing the rocks and painting those. And um, doing events, and I was able to meet other people by telling what happened. And people were able to open up and talk to me about um, their own struggles. This one event I did at the Women's Museum in Liberty Station, there was a man with his wife and his three young children. I saw him, and he was just like, very quiet. He came up to me and leaned in and said, I struggled with self-harm. Like, I just hugged him. He said, I'm thankful you're here with your wife and your three children. 
So everyone has a story about uh, suicide. I had met a friend of mine, Melody, through one of the, another event that I did, and she came up to me and was like, would you be interested in doing an art show? I'm like, okay, great, but I'm paying on box, so I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm going to go to Canvas, and it's going to be my journey through suicide loss. And um, the show was called Prismatic Series, which was every color in the rainbow. The first one was red, and um, I was able to put down all my emotions, starting from the very bottom, all the way up to where I was hoping to be later. Um, and I just did every color, which I was able to dissect my emotions through each piece. Each piece was so hard to do. I had to put those pieces down every time and try and dissect each one by what I was going through, which has helped me a lot. I highly suggest it for anyone going through some traumatic or any type of struggle that they're going through is to put it down on paper, on canvas, and just write it out. Write it out, paint it out, whatever you're feeling, dissect it so that you can understand for yourself how to, how to overcome that part and maybe come back to it later because it's going to happen or you're going to come back to that pain. <laughs> healing, healing process. Uh, you said after Anthony passed and you started um, painting on those rocks, were you into art before that? I was not into art. Um, I knew I was always artistic or crafty, mm -hmm. but I never really explored it. Okay. No, I've never gone to art school. I've never done any of that. So with this, I'm just like, sky's the limit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sky's the limit. I'm like, you know, we all have a gift. Unfortunately, it took something so devastating and traumatic to bring it out for me. Right. For me, I'm just like, I'm going to go for every and anything every opportunity that's in front of me because I have nothing to lose. I already lost the most important thing in my life. I have nothing to lose but myself. And they say that most, the most beautiful things that are created in this world are created from pain and what we go through. So for you to be able to express that in your journey reaches and touches so many other people. And when we're talking about before we started recording, you know, about putting something out there not knowing who it's going to touch. But there's so much power in that. Uh, what you're putting out and what you're doing and what you're providing for other people 
how has your family dealt with with Anthony's passing? Oh, we're we're all dealing with it differently. Mm -hmm. um, fortunately, have I? Fortunately, unfortunately, I have a large family, mm -hmm. but uh, most of them have not said a word to me since his passing. Which is very upsetting to right. me. Not even, not even the hey, how you doing? Do you need anything? You know, I don't understand it. So for a while there, I was beside myself, like why, right. why haven't they said anything? So now they're outside. Yeah. They're outside that circle because. I have too many things going on in my head and in my heart, but I don't have time for that. I don't want to be a part of my life, then you can be out here. When you say that Anthony growing up and you notice these things in him and him becoming very quiet at a very young age at 10, did other people on the outside notice those things also? Or was it more just something that you as a mother and in your home noticed? Yeah, that's something that I noticed, that he was very quiet. Um, like se several times we put him in counseling. Mm -hmm. You know, it seemed to help a little bit, but it's hard to control what other kids do to your child. You right. know, bullying, it's, it's, it's horrible. Horrible. You can't be there 24 7. So, of course, as a mother, I worry about my children all the time, either little or adults. You know, it, it just never stopped worrying about them as they grew older. And when I got that call, that was one of the worst moments. I was in shock and disbelief. Can you tell me, when you said that Anthony's baby had passed away and he had blamed himself, did you go through that as a mom? Yes, because I blame myself, I blame myself for his passing. I should have been there. I'm his mother. I should have protected him from himself. So of course I feel I feel a lot of guilt. And I wish it would have been me instead of him. He had so much more in life. And he wasn't able to see.
Do you still feel that way? I do. Because I'm his mother. I still feel guilt. I feel angry. And that's why I'm on a mission to make sure people know they are not alone and that there is help. There are resources out there. I had no idea where to go in the very beginning when this happened. I'm so thankful for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. They're an amazing organization. That's helped a lot of people. They do a lot of research. Um, do a lot of research, raise a lot of funds for, for that. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful that you're here today talking about this and letting other people into your story. Before we started recording, we were talking about, you know, um, mental health awareness this month. And I can't imagine what you go through when, especially with social media and stuff, and you seeing everybody post different things. Um, I don't know why when things happen like this that are very traumatic, why, why people back off so much in a time when they shouldn't. And I don't know what people go through in their heads. I, I've always been a person to reach out. If I hear or see something or feel something, I don't hesitate to reach out to that person whether if we're close or not, whether if we only know each other on, on Facebook. Um, I, I've been to so many funerals of people that I did not even meet in person, but I went to support the people that are grieving and the people that are living because those are the people that are still have to live day to day with their loss. Well, that was always very important to me. Something that that hurt to me is when I personally post something about mental health or I just posted something the other day about high-functioning anxiety and what it can look like, and I posted a picture of me smiling. And I would expect my family and friends to send me a text that day but I didn't get anything. And when you and I first met, I had opened up to you about me, myself, and, and hurting myself growing up and causing myself pain because I did not know how to deal with pain. Do you think that things in social media bring out these things more in, in kids? In society, everything's so exposed and everything's so out there. So when we talk about bullying, it's, it really hurts because I think it's something that's very exposed. And even though it's so exposed in, in people's face, I think people just still don't know how to deal with things like that. What, 
advice, what guidance can you give to parents that have children right now that are dealing with bullying? Get to the source. Make sure you're, you have an open line of communication with your children. Let them know um, that you care about them, that you love them no matter what, that they can tell you. They can tell you anything. Be open with your children. Teach them because these are our future. They're our future. You see these kids now and they're just like, they're wild. They're crazy. I mean, they're, you know, they're so loud and obnoxious that the parents don't do anything about it because they're so used to it. Almost like they become numb. Yeah, they become numb to how their child is acting. But my daughter, growing up, I would show her, do you see that kid? Do you see him acting crazy? Are you crazy? She's like, no. I'm like, don't act like that. That's that's not right. So every time I'd see a child acting up, I'm like, are you supposed to do that? She's like, no. So she was always a very good child. You have to show them what is right and what's wrong. They don't know until you teach them. So I don't know what's going on with these kids in school. I wonder too how a parent feels when it's their child that's the bully. You know, I, I, I always think that of what, you know... Oh, do they even know? Do they know, right. And, and how would they know, right? Because what you were saying earlier about, you know, you can't protect your children when they're not with you, right? And they're in school and they're dealing with stuff and they're in school all day around these kids and we don't know what's really going on. So I do think a lot of that is not is making sure you have that open communication. You know, I it, it took me years when I was young to open up to my parents about being bullied and being picked on because they would ask me how the school we had and I was just like, fine, yeah, right. <laughs> great. And, and they would just say, okay. They wouldn't ask more questions. They wouldn't get deeper. I don't know if they just trust in the fact that I know my child and she seems fine, mm-hmm. but I do encourage parents to have deeper conversations. Um, I also believe there's a concern too with children these days using words like suicide very lightly and not understanding the meaning of that. Um, because I think those words are very exposed in a different light these days. Um, I mentor a girl that's in high school, and she has used that word. And I have a very good relationship with her, a very open relationship that her parents know, understand, respect. Um, But I chose to dig deeper with her when she brought that up because it was very triggering for me when she brought up those words. And it comes down to she just had a bad day that day. 
So it was hard to be able to communicate with a child and let her know it's okay to have a bad day. Doesn't mean that you have to look at harming yourself. Doesn't mean you have to look at suicide because it was a bad day. How do parents recognize that it's more than just a bad day? If they don't have that communication mm -hmm. with their kids. What is your definition of suicide? Right. Like, are you just angry or do you really want to hurt yourself? Right. I believe yes. a lot of parents get in denial of those things too. You know, because I had brought up things to my parents when I was younger and my parents didn't go into taking it the step further of going to get help, going to therapy. I never went to therapy as a child and I went through some pretty serious traumatic events that now I deal with as an adult and now I've had to heal as an adult. Mm -hmm. But they didn't take those extra steps. They didn't they just figure it or just go away or... Yeah. Like, just sweep it under the rug. Right, that's how it was with me growing up. It's like we had a large family. We lived mm -hmm. in, um, my dad was military, so it's very strict. And you never spoke about your emotions. Right. You always just smiled and pretend everything is okay. And it's like, you weren't allowed to say anything. Just do what you're supposed to do. And it's like, everything was suppressed. Yes. Suppressed. Right. So, I, mean, I had dealt with my own suicidal thoughts when I was very young as well and had attempted multiple times growing up because I did not want to live anymore because my family life was not ideal. So with you experiencing that yourself, Alan, did you, was that a concern for you when you looked at your own son? I knew suicide was going to be in my life somehow. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that would be my son. And I had never told anyone about my suicidal um, attempts. So it was always in the back of my mind because I had tried multiple times, but when I got that call, I never knew that it would be him. Did you think when he lost his son, did you think that that was going to be a trigger for him? I did. He had, he had his wife who was a great support system for mm -hmm. him, so she did everything she could to help him to get therapy and counseling, but he refused for some reason. So he never got, he never wanted the help, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. He was, I don't know where he was in his mind. Were you able to have a close relationship with her at all? Um, well, they lived in Florida, so not really, but um, she had grew up. We lived close. Um, there were our 
neighbors. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So we knew her prior to them okay. getting together. So. Yeah. And what her about family. after Anthony passed? Um, that kind of ended. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure she's gone through a lot of her own battles and, and guilt with that also and what they went through. It's hard. Yeah. Let me ask you, if if you want to share that part, you know, they say a lot when a loss of a child has happened between a marriage, that that can break up a marriage and all the hurt and pain, usually one is ready to move on and the other mm -hmm. person isn't, obviously that really affected Anthony and his relationship and his marriage. What about you and your husband? Has that made you guys stronger? Has that, I'm sure you've gone through up and down since that's happened. Uh, we've grown even stronger, if that is even possible. Absolutely <laughs> it's possible. Absolutely. It was always strong, but um, yes. even more stronger. He is my absolute earth angel. He has helped me along the way through, through the very beginning. He was sent to me, for sure, to keep me balanced, to keep me safe, to keep me going on the right path. He's helped me so much. I don't know. It's just priceless to be able to say that I'm his wife. And He's an amazing man. That's you, Robert E. Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> and your, so your daughter is also an artist. Mm -hmm. Is that something she was involved in before? Something that was a part of her? Um, I think it came about when I started doing my art. Mm -hmm. And I encouraged her because I knew she was creative. You know, she has a creative side of her that I try to like kind of reel that out yeah, of her. Yeah, I'm trying to reel it out. I'm like, here you go, here, try yeah. this. Um, she had actually a long time ago. She was uh, chosen to be an ambassador to go to Philadelphia and Washington. So I was like, well, I don't have the money to pay for that. If you want to go? You need to raise the funds yourself. So I bought this jewelry making kit and gave it to her and she had her door shut and she's like, come see what I made. I was like, are you kidding me? You did not make this. She's like, I did, I did. I was like, oh my gosh, she made all this jewelry. And I was like, okay, we're gonna sell it. So we sold it and she was, she was driven to go on this trip so she was making jewelry, she was recycling cans, she was doing everything she could, and I was like doing everything I could to help her to get on to her goal. So um, she had done that, went there, and then she had another trip that she got chosen for to be ambassador for. Um, she went to Europe, wow. she went to Austria, Germany, she wow. went to, she went everywhere. I was like, I was like, go for it. Go for do it. it. I was yeah. like, do it. This is your chance. So I helped her again, and it's like, oh my God, that's so amazing that you're able to do that. So 
even with the art, like, here you go, here's some paper and yeah. pens and, you know, colored pencils. And slide it yeah, like, like, you know, no, no pressure, <laughs> here you go. So she started doing that, and I was like, so with the shows, I'm like, always like, look what I'm doing. Like, yeah. kind of gentle nudge, and I'm like, oh, look. I got a studio. I'm like, we can share it. She's like, what? Yeah, which is so awesome. It's like, for you guys to be able to create these things together. And then when I go into your studio, your guys' stuff is so different mm -hmm. too. And so it's, it's really awesome to see this beautiful art come out of the both of you and have it be so different. Yes. You should see her sculptures. Beautiful. Yeah. Which we sold. Which is awesome. We're just gone now. That's great. <laughs> um, how, was, how was her relationship with Anthony? What was the age difference and stuff and then growing up? 10 years difference. Wow, really? Yeah. 10 years difference. He was the best big brother she could ever have. He always took care of her. He was always there. Anything she wanted, he would give her. He was a good big brother. She actually has um, some words tattooed on her wrists that were his um, his handwritten letter were transferred onto her wrists. Really? Yeah. Proud life. And how she dealt with her brother's passing? Um, I think she's dealing with it pretty good. I don't see her as often as I would like to, so um, unless we're, we have an event, <laughs> she can make it. Um, but again, we, we all deal with it differently. I'm just more, it's more raw for me because I'm a mother. I'm the one who carried this child and kept him safe for as long as I could. You know, you worry about, oh, are they eating enough for, you know, are they, are they okay, did they trip, did they fall, you know. So, yeah, so I blame, I kind of have a lot of guilt because I should have, should have, could have, would have. Right. Right. But, you know, it's too late for that, but it's not too late for whoever's listening right now. You have a choice. There are resources. There are people that are out there that are willing to listen and to help. Yeah. There are resources and help out there. Had I, I did not know before then. Right. I'm like, where do you go? Where, where do you go? I had no idea where to go. But now, everyone knows where to go. You can go to American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, uh, AFSP.org. There's a Suicide Prevention Lifeline. You could do a live chat with them. Um, you can text 741-741-TALK, and you can text to talk with a counselor. Yeah, My, the girl that I mentor, she's done that. Um, she did that because in our program um, that our mentor program and 
we had gotten some resources um, about a year ago um, for stuff like that. And um, she used the text and did the chat. And that's when she texted me back and said, you know what, I just had a bad day. And I, I need to learn how to deal with those bad days better. Um, but she was very thankful um, for those connections and for those resources. Um, which is amazing because I think when I was her age, I was very ashamed to because be we were taught to be ashamed, right? Something like that. It, it was, you know, and, and we talked about this too, you know, especially culturally. You know, um, I was always taught to suppress everything that I went through, or that mm-hmm. what I went through wasn't a big deal. Because it goes on the whole family. You're going to shame your whole family. Yes. If you were doing this. Right. If you don't look like you're happy, yes. then you're going to shame the whole family. Right. The family name. Yes. That's huge in the Filipino culture. Yeah. In the Latino the culture, culture the Latino too. Culture yeah, also. absolutely. Because it was whatever you do and say and present yourself reflects mm-hmm. on us as a family. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that you're an individual. And that's not how we were ever treated. We weren't treated as individuals. Um, I think, too, I, I used to say this about my mom, too. I used to say that she was the best actress that I knew. And I used to write songs when I was younger. And I wrote a song about her. Um, she deserved an award for the role that she played. Because what went on in our house compared to the smile that she had on her face everywhere she went. Do we have the same mom? Right? (laughs) (laughs) It it was literally, and even as a child, I did not, I didn't understand that because I was always a very emotional and very empathic um, child. It it never made sense to me. I, I didn't understand why she would want to be an actress outside of our home. Mm-hmm. You know, we were also told what happened in our house stayed in our home. You do not share with other people, especially family, about what went on in, in behind closed doors. And I think breaking those chains and breaking those signals, it's a lot of work. You know, it's a lot of work to be vulnerable and be honest because that's not how we were raised. But it's, it's needed. But now we're here and we're ready to roar. <laughs> we want people to listen to that because we know the value in people feeling connected to someone. Okay? And feeling that connection of, oh, I'm not alone. I, there's other people that understand what I'm going through. That's why I had started writing and having a blog and putting out a podcast is because I felt so alone in a lot of things that I was going through in my life. And I knew I wasn't. I had a lot to say, right? Yeah. Um, (laughs) That's definitely an understatement for me, having a lot to say. I'm here, and I'm going to tell you all what's going on. Yeah. Listen to you. Right. Whether if you like it or not, because it's my truth and it's my life and it's what I go through and I know there's people that, you know, I, I was always told to as a child growing up and especially as a teenager, you don't have it that bad. People have it worse than you. But it was downplaying what I felt, what I was going through, my struggles, 
well, someone else always has it worse. I remember my Thea saying that all the time growing up. It's almost like, why are you complaining? You have a roof over your head. What else do you need to complain mm -hmm. about? It's so horrible to say. That's what my dad used to always say. You have a roof over your head, you have food to eat, and it's like, are you not satisfied? Yeah. <laughs> what else do you need? My emotions of what I'm going to do. Well, why? Why do I need to do that? Because you don't know what people are going through internally. And like we said earlier, you don't know people's struggle. You may know some type of struggle, but you don't know as an individual what I've struggled with. And what I share is just on the surface. There's mm -hmm. so much other things. And, you know, I choose my time of when they need to come, come out and when things need to be when I think they need to be heard but there's still so much in a person's journey that you don't know yeah you know um with I'm I, I'm very thankful that you took it to another level of getting involved with the suicide prevention because I think that's another thing too is that when people go through something traumatic they don't like you said, the resources are out there, right? We know it's so easy to get on your phone and Google something and go out there. What do you think holds people back from taking that step of actually reaching out? I think they're afraid to be vulnerable, to tell people that they might feel shame that they feel this way or someone might not believe believe them or believe in them that they're making it up or they're it's just you know it's just in their head you know that's what I think it is people are afraid to to say anything because someone will have a comment or some kind of cliche thing they might say that will make it even worse for that person right and we talked about that too those cliche Things. What can you tell us the things that people have said to you that is not the right thing to say? Uh, time will heal. Or you're okay. You'll be okay, right? No. I'm not okay. I lost my son. This was a human being. Not, not because I got my, my food order wrong. You know, this was my son, this was a human being that I lost. I loved him with all my heart. So that pain is gonna stay with me till the day I die. It'll change throughout the years. Yes. As it's changed the last few years. It has changed and it has evolved to where I can help other people. Mm -hmm. while helping myself understand what's happening to me. Yeah. And that's why I keep doing what I'm doing because I want people to know that if you're, if you're not comfortable with talking, you can use art. You don't have to be an artist. You could just write something down and just dissect it. Dissect it and try to understand what you're going through. Just talk to someone, 
whatever it is, go for a walk, you know, be in nature, do something, but you have a choice to either sink or swim. And I chose to swim and to be a voice for those that have no voice. And I know my son has helped guide me to where I'm at right now. I think, um, I think it's important to let people know that it's okay if they don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. It's okay. If you don't know what to say, don't say the cliche words. A hug is good enough. I was, I was going to say that. Yeah. And that's what I tell people. I was like, you don't know what to say? A hug is enough. That's yeah. all I need. Yeah. And that's what I got the first day I stepped onto that grass at the first walk for AFSP. Those hugs meant more to me than any words could ever do for me. And that's, that's why I hug everyone. <laughs> I hug everyone. It's like, I'm a hugger. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a talker, but that, it, mean, it does mean so much more because I'd rather, if you don't know what to say, it's okay to tell me that you don't have the words. Mm -hmm. You don't know what to say. Because I think people get intimidated by that too. You know, and I think that's why people put their foot in their mouths when they're trying to find words, but it, you don't have to. You know, that, that touch, that means a lot. Yeah. There's so much energy that comes out when you connect with someone, when you hug someone. You don't need to fill that space up with a bunch of words. Yeah. You know, if you don't have it, that, that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I think that is important for people to know because I do think people just sometimes don't know what to say and they wind up making it worse. Yes. Right. And it's just weird how some people know what I've been through and I can tell they like want to say something to me, but there's like like an awkwardness, kind of weird thing. It's like, I see you, but you're like right. walking around me like eggshells. It's like, and you feel that yeah, too, I, right? I, when you're in contact with the person, you feel that. It's like, it's weird. I know these people. Why are they acting like that? You know, it's because suicide is a word people, a topic that people don't want to talk about. It's okay, I don't talk about suicide 24-7. I don't talk about it 24-7. Yes, it's on my mind all the time, but, you know, I'm not going to talk, I'm not going to push it down your throat that, oh, you need to help me and you need to do this, but... I just want you to be aware that there's there's help out there. You know, your it doesn't mental health isn't always about suicide. Right. You know, there's other there's various things um, that pertain to mental health that people can get help for. You know, right. especially nowadays, people are so busy you know, trying to multitask everything, and it's like hard to get everything done in a day, and you know, having, having a job, having family, and 
having to take care of things that you don't have time for adds up. It's just like having all those emotions being built up inside you. It you put it you just like pack it away and then it just comes out. Right. So that's why sometimes I'm like I just I can't help but tell people what's happening because it helps release some of that steam that's building up. Right. I can't help it, it comes out to me. <laughs> that's what I went through is what we were saying earlier about suppressing those those daily things that happen and I think I got to a breaking point where I had a mental emotional breakdown and I because I was holding back so much and it was day-to-day -day things that I was afraid I would be judged on. If I said things out loud how I was feeling day to day, are people going to think that I can't handle myself? Or they're going to think I can't handle simple tasks in life? Or are they going to judge me from afar saying, well, I've gone through stuff too, and I'm still waking up every day, and I'm still going to my job, and I'm still taking care of my household. So there is a lot of fear in that judgment. But to me, I felt like I got to the point where if I, I I had no choice but to let it out because it all caught up to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I had no more room to suppress anything else in my body on top of anything. There was no more layering. It just burst. It's <laughs> like spilling out everywhere. <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't control it. And then when I got to that point of not being able to control it, I literally lost control. I was crying over everything I was hyperventilating over everything I didn't I, I blocked everybody I didn't I became not myself and even that was fearful for other people too so and I don't understand the fear that people have when they notice that in somebody too like they shy away from yes. being that person to be like hey just just be like hey you okay you know, if there's no commitment. All you have to do is be like, just be there for that moment because you could be saving that person's life. If you see someone that's struggling, like yesterday, we had a coworker that was very upset, I noticed. Um, and I was in my room at work and it's locked. So I saw him and I'm like, I have to run out there. So I ran out to see if he was okay, and he was crying, and I'm like, are you okay? He's like, no. You know, and he's one of the happiest, strongest guys at work, and he's like, we're just going through a lot of things. And I watched him all day yesterday, just breaking down, trying to hold himself together because he didn't want to go home. He didn't want to go home, he wanted to be at work to stay distracted. But to watch him breaking down all day, I'm like, God, it's hard being a parent of a child that, that's an adult now mm -hmm. that you're worried about. You know? It's like it never ends. Becoming a parent is 24-7 job, no matter how old you are. for him. So I had 
let the managers know and other people know, hey, he's having a really hard time, so please keep an eye on him. Like, I'm just worried about him. It's not normal, like, oh, he's upset or whatever. He was really... It was deeper. Yeah, it was deeper than that. So I know when my son uh, died, three days, I took three days agreement and came back to work, which I probably shouldn't have done. And even everyone was like, why did you come back to work? I'm like, because I need to stay busy. Right. I need to stay busy. Well, that distraction. I need that distraction. Right. But it was hard. Right. It was hard coming back to work. I'm like, broke down so many times. And they're like, just go home. Like, I can't go home. Because that's when everything is still and I, I'm safer here. I'm safer at work. Because in those emotions, I don't know what I would have done. Because I was out of my mind. I was completely out of my mind that first year. So, Anthony committing suicide, how did that trigger you? Since you had gone through things in your life. And by the way, I just want to mention, we don't say commit. We try and stay away from that word, commit, because it's like, when you say commit, it's like he's committing a sin. Interesting. Yeah, I would say they died by suicide. Because, yeah, when we say commit, it's like he's committing a sin. It's not a sin. It's something he felt he needed to do. Thank um, you for sharing that. That's such a... And, and I don't believe it's a sin, and I've shared with you things that <laughs> I've experienced with it and stuff, too. And we even talked about that earlier today, too, was telling people, letting people aware of those things. Um, thank you for letting me um, be aware of that. I appreciate that very much. So that's what it's associated with when you say committed. So when I hear it on the news, it's like, it's not committed. It's not like they're committing a sin. It's something that he felt he felt he had to do. Yeah. So he died by suicide. I told her how he said <laughs> Because like we said, when people say things that are cliche, you want to stop them and tell them, this is not the way that you should say this because this is not the way that it's viewed to someone that's experienced that. So like I said, I appreciate that you're willing to do that. Um, I was saying, um, how has his death been triggering for you with you being a person who has experienced these thoughts, feelings, emotions, and actions yourself? Um, well, that first year, I, I was, I was welcoming suicide. Like, I could totally just drive this car as fast as I can and get in a car accident because I hurt so much. You know, you love your children above and beyond 
So of course, I'm going to feel that pain, which is going to be above and beyond that. This, this was a human being that was in a lot of pain. I couldn't help him. so many times that I could have been dead already. I could have been gone. But I turned it around and I wasn't going to go out like that. So I'm here to help and tell people our story so they know that they do have a choice to be here and to change what has happened to them by being proactive with your own uh, well-being. Think about yourself first, not about how your family has treated you or friends. You have no time for negativity or absence. You have to worry about yourself and your well-being because that's all you will be able to handle at this time. For me, that's how it is. It's like if, if you have negativity, you're absent, then okay, that's fine. I used to struggle with that, but I came to terms with that. And I was right. like, okay, if it won't be a part of my life, I'm not going to rattle my brain anymore about why, 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 because that was killing me. So now, I'm like, be present and think about what you're going through right now and how affecting other people that need your help. That's why I see it. I'm like, be present and help the people that need it, that want it. And even the people that don't want it, let them know that you're here, that there are resources for them when they're ready. At least they know that there are. They can call, they can text, they can they can ask me. I'll be at every event, everywhere in San Diego, <laughs> trying to reach out to people and each community. Awareness. Mm -hmm. And I always have those little uh, pamphlets, uh, little pocket-sized suicide prevention lifeline little numbers with yeah. me. I have one of those too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My mentee has one of those too. So she runs into her peers and stuff too that will talk about things and you know those little trigger words and emotions that they mm -hmm. do express and she always no questions because you don't have to explain anything to me and she'll just pass that along to them and make sure that they understand again that there's the resources that are out there um while we're coming close to the ending of this episode um can you share the information about the walk for this year? The walk is Sunday, 
October 27th at Liberty Station at Cushing Park. Um, it starts at 8 a.m. till uh, about 12 o'clock. It's a 5K, it's a short three mile walk. Um, we'll have resources there, we'll have uh, music, we'll have Hopefully I'll be doing the table again. Last year I did the Rock Paper Hope okay. uh, tent. So people were able to come up and paint rocks and um, that was amazing, by the way. Yes. That was the first year that I did that. They, uh, the chapter surprised me with a banner that said Rock Paper Hope wow. uh, with Team Anthony's name on it. And um, it was amazing how many people showed up to that tent. I was like, first there was a few people, I was like, oh, okay, and then there was droves of people coming up, like, Ooh. You're just taken back by it, huh? <laughs> like, oh that was amazing. There were so many people waiting behind other people to, to paint a rock. Wow. It was crazy. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad we're behind these tables. Yeah. <laughs> and so glad that you found art to be your therapy and part of your healing journey in this. Like we said earlier too, the, the healing journey never ends. It's constant, it's every day. But you are doing that and also spreading that love to other people to help them. You know, I am no artist myself, as I told you, I get very envious of my sisters and their creativity. <laughs> I did not get the gene at all. Um, but, um, I, you know, I've lost um, many young people um, to suicide growing up, and um, I'm looking forward to being a part of that, a part of the walk this year. And I hope you do have that table going on because even though I don't have the artistic skills, I would you love to. to. I will. Uh, I would love to do that and honor uh, the people that I've lost um, in suicide, and, and also my own healing with my own um, issues that I've personally dealt with, with harming myself and, and suicidal thoughts and feelings and everything that I've gone through too. So I really believe in art therapy and what it does, and I've seen. I've seen beautiful things come out of pain, you know, and you are one of those beautiful people that have come out of dealing with pain, and I really appreciate you as a person, as a mom, and as a survivor, and I appreciate what you do and what you put out there, and thank you for continuing to put yourself out there and put your emotions out there and put your life out there so that others can benefit in a positive way and learn it says a lot about what you've gone through. Thank you. I'm a mother on a mission. This is for my Anthony. I'll not let his memory die. And this is for all the mothers out there. There is hope. There is hope, there is a way. If your son or daughter is struggling, 
please find a way to help them, comfort them, and not be judgmental. And make sure everyone wears their mohawks at the walk. Yeah. <laughs> In memory of my son. My mom can't wait to wear her fuchsia colored mohawk really every year. She she That's asks so me awesome. every year. So I have my mohawk. I've been combing it. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm gonna have to get her a different color mohawk. But, she, but, that, but that color suits her. That color suits her because we can see her everywhere. Right. That first year I'm like, oh my god, She's fine. We can see her all everywhere. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, she looks forward to that walk every year. Thank you again, um, Ellie, for coming on to the podcast, for sharing your story, sharing you know so many things that are very personal to you. And I just I appreciate your energy so much, and it means a lot. And I mean, shit, the first time we met, we cried together. <laughs> So thank you very much. And um, for any of you listeners that, um, you know, need somebody to reach out to and talk to, obviously you can contact me and, and Allie to get a hold of the information that we shared today um, to help yourself or to help anybody that you know. And we are here to support um, and love and guide and show that there are people that have all experienced this in one way or another. So thank you everybody for listening and until then, fist up chingonas. Yee!